Hey guys, this is Tony with Sunnyside Sober, and you're listening to the Breakfast Rock Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Breakfast Rock Podcast, um, election night special edition. Oh, baby. Me and Derek have prepared a whole episode about Say politics. Less. We're so excited to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, kidding. We're, no, we are absolutely here. We're ready to uh, tell you, you know, how to get registered and how to vote. I'm just kidding. It's all, it, it is really important to do all that stuff, but uh, I know we're all feeling a little fatigued at this point and we're ready for it to be over with. Yes. I'm done with the political text messages, honestly, because I you don't know, have I... any friends. So every time one pops up, <laughs> I'm getting really excited and then I'm like, oh, it's just a robot. I don't have any of those messages at all. Uh, Jen, my wife gets them all the time. And uh, I don't know. What what are you registered as? Because that's my theory is that my wife is technically a registered Republican and I'm a Uh, registered Democrat. Yeah, I'm a registered Democrat, so I don't know why I'm getting them. Maybe because I live in a metropolitan area, possibly. Uh, I don't know. Could be, although me and my wife live in the same house, so. I feel like somewhere I wrote my phone number down and it got entered into the system. So, the system, the system. <laughs> it's just, just one of, it's just the system, just the general. There's just yeah, there's <laughs> just one system where everything is. Everything is in the system. It's all in the system. That's why. And I'm... this has been Tony's tinfoil hat talk <laughs> for the week. <laughs> what are we talking Everything's about today, man? What are we talking about? Uh, just a few things first of all i want to start off because this made waves for me um personally i just i got really upset at this but mgk who we've talked about recently who released his new album tickets to my downfall said some very disturbing things on the interwebs yeah and i uh, what do you i mean he compares himself and young read blood. the read the tweet. What's the tweet? I I don't have the tweet pulled up to be honest with you, oh but I know God. that he claims that him and Young Blood are the modern day Elton John and Jimi Hendrix. Like, yeah. come on, I I don't see the we connection. were we were repping for MGK. I think this is the most upsetting part. Is we we're like, man, or at least I was. I'll yeah. I'll put this on myself. I'll put this on me. No, I was with you, man. We ba- I mean, he was bringing pop punk to like we were like, listeners. okay, here's a here's a guy who's really really popular, um, in the more like pop hip hop music <laughs> scene. Give me you that know, John Gruden take. <laughs> yeah, here no, that's Chris Collinsworth. Oh, sorry. Here's a guy, but um. We were kind of hopeful that he was going to be someone who represented pop punk again in the mainstream and to like make those comparisons when like you're not even the guy who was, you know, in the pop punk scene 
10, 15 years ago. I yeah. mean, you've got guys that you could compare yourself to. You're working with one of them. Travis Barker is like, if you're going to compare yourself to anyone, be like, hey, we are maybe we're the Blink 182 of 2020. That's something more relatable. You're not groundbreaking anything. You need to give credit to the guys who are doing pop punk, um, you know, today. And on mm-hmm. top of that, the guys who did it 10, 15 years ago, you know, mid 2000s. Yeah. Ridiculous. It just, just really offends dumb. me because I, I, I really admire people like Elton John and Jimi Hendrix, just like the things that they brought to music. Like they literally, and, and the times they were in as well, like they pioneered a lot of shit. I just don't compare, I can't compare MGK to that because I don't know what he's pioneering. He's not pioneering anything. Yeah. That's that's the issue. Is He's saying this like he's some kind of musical revelation, but the only true revelation is that maybe people will discover that music 15 years ago wasn't really that bad. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't see myself, you know, at 73 years old pulling out a, I don't know, a digital file. What, what, what would we be pulling out? You know how your grandparents oh, pulled out old records. What are we pulling out? Flash drives. I pull out the old flash drive. <laughs> <laughs> pull, pull out the flash, call your, um, house lights slash speakers. Yeah. You've right. got Alexa built into everything. So you probably just talk to your house, like smart house. I'll just Disney send it, movie. We'll send it through telepathy. Somehow we're going to sure. discover that. Yeah. Did you ever see that Disney movie Smart House where the house kind of turns evil? No, I haven't actually. I didn't watch a lot of Disney Channel. Oh, man. I watched uh, Was Proud Family on it? Yeah, Proud Family was on the Disney Channel. I yeah. watched Proud Family. Like Kim Possible, was that on there? Yeah, it was. Oh, I love Kim Possible. Didn't we all? Yeah. <laughs> and the Naked Mole Rat. Nick and Morant, Ron, possible, stoppable. Ron, stoppable, yeah. Ron, stoppable. <laughs> We're getting off topic here. MGK is not Jimi Hendrix or Elton John, <laughs> is the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> you want to talk about pioneers? Let's shift over here. You want to talk about pioneers? Dave Grawl releasing his fix for his coffee addiction. <laughs> the fake pharmaceutical commercial is probably the best mm. thing I've seen. Dave Grohl is 100% a pioneer. Yeah. Um, oh, 100%. For the grunge scene yeah. into the mainstream, you know. Um, that video was awesome. I still quote Fresh Pots all the time. Yeah. Love Fresh Pots. If you haven't seen the Fresh Pots video, go watch. Just Google Fresh Pots. You'll find right. this video of Dave Grohl recording an album with them, Crooked Vultures, which was his super group. He was on coffee all the time, mm-hmm. talked about his coffee addiction. Semi-like true Yeah, that he had some kind of crazy coffee addiction. He, do, he really did go to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, but we needed humor in 2020. You know, we needed a little bit of funny, like this close to the election. Yeah. Just good times. I feel like... Love the Foo Fighters. I, Love Dave Grohl. I was going to say, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters, like, they've been making waves during these times that we're in and it's actually been pretty interesting. He's been responding to people on Twitter and, and posting videos and stuff like that. But yeah, he's gotta be bored. Yeah. Well, to make, if you've ever seen that video of him, like with his, uh, he's, he's giving an interview, but he's talking about his home life with his daughters. Uh-huh. He, he, he just has daughters 
and <laughs> he's like, my kids don't give a shit that I'm a rock star. <laughs> They're like, daddy, I want a smoothie. It's like, okay, I'll make you a smoothie. Just give me a minute. And if you watch the back and forth documentary, like he's in there, he's playing guitar and the daughter walks in. She's like, you told me that we were going to go swimming. <laughs> He's like, I know, but I have to record this guitar part. It's like probably like a million dollars in that room, you know, between like just all the people before the equipment. And she just walks in. She's like, we were going to go swimming. He's like, yeah, I know. but <laughs> I mean, um, he's man. probably super bored at home. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably been getting that kind of treatment for like almost a year and he's like i'm so fucking done with this he just like he does a professional infomercial for a fake fresh products caffeine tablets that he takes <laughs> oh my god dave Grohl. he like notoriously he's known for not spending his money so he's one of the richest musicians of all time um but the times that he said that he blew his money on like sports cars and things. He just thought it was stupid. He ended up getting it, never used it. Now he drives like a minivan. Hell yeah. So he definitely seems like a guy who's got all this excess cash to just be like, I'm going to make a fake infomercial. <laughs> I love it. Have they put out any live stream material or anything? I've been kind of paying attention. I think they released an yep, old concert. They have. Okay. They've been doing uh they've been doing concerts and stuff for the um stage like fun reliefs. I don't think it's save our stages specifically, but they have been doing things to benefit venues. Cool. I, I saw them dropping like old recordings and stuff on their Twitter feed. So that was kinda Yeah, cool. they, they recently released like a cassette um of just an old live show. Mm-hmm. Well it, it it's probably more than just a cassette. Yeah. Um but the promo material was a cassette. I definitely want to check those out because I watched that pup live stream um, last Friday night with my sister, which was, man, I don't have the date. I guess I should probably have the date because we're recording this on a Tuesday, October the twenty third. It was like wow, yeah, October twenty third. But anyways, the pup live stream was actually surprisingly pretty good. I. I went in not expecting... Why surprisingly? Surprisingly as in, I don't mean it as in, like, I was kind of wondering how Pup was going to do. Like, they're great. But I was wondering how the sound was going to come across. Like, what the video was going to be. Are we, am I just going to sit here and watch my TV and them just bounce around on a stage? Or are they going to do some effects? Stuff like that. Right. But mainly, mainly the sound. And I have to say, that live stream was actually pretty solid. And me and my sister kind of set it up to where um, we, I mean, I, I stocked my bar. <laughs> I did like a venue bar and uh, awesome. we made some pizzas and stuff like that. And like one show. Oh, it's like being at Pops all over right, again. Right, right. And uh, did you also get the runs like you and I did the <laughs> next day? Uh, I won't say that. On, when, I won't like, say that was on like, the podcast. Hey, <laughs> hey, you guys did great selling tickets. Here's some Red Bull and shitty pizza. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, one of the other guys is smoking weed in the back room. Do you guys need a shower? Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, no, man, I live here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sounds like an awesome experience yeah. at your your house, though. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what we were going for. No, it was a good time. Their sound was great, though, and they did it from. Um, first of all, they introduced the band like uh, they came out and they announced uh, Stefan Babcock, lead singer, Steve, the awesome. guitarist. And then they go a bass player, and they just showed like a stamp of the bass player, and then and then they show the drummer, and it says and so on. <laughs> so they didn't even give Zach or uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna oh. hate myself for not remembering his name, Nestor. I think they didn't show him any love, but it, it was like a pu- in pup fashion. It was hilarious, right. and uh, like everything they had been doing up to that point was like shitty '80s commercial, yeah. right? Oh man, it was it was good, but they had a a big green screen backdrop at one point. Um, I know you've been watching Action Bronson lately, like all his show. Um, watching what's oh yeah, you know Ancient Alien show. I don't know the name of With it. The, yeah. Um, but they have a giant green screen in the back of that, and it was similar to that. Like they were just like showing zoomed in shots of like Zach's face while he's playing drums, and like they would like take one of them and just flip them around the screen. <laughs> Dude. It was That's amazing. it was pretty solid, but um, they I loved how they kept calling the venue. They were like, "We were live from the piss hole," <laughs> <laughs> but it was just so what they what they play. Did they play uh, um, mostly their self titled and morbid stuff? Did they play a lot of the new stuff? Um, they over everything. They played else, one or? song from the self title. Um, I forget what it was. I want to say guilt trip. Um, a lot of morbid stuff, and um. Uh, God, I can't remember the album before that with the burning couch, but it was a mix of morbid stuff and uh, that album as well. Yeah, I was gonna say, see if you can pull that up. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, they they good song choices too, and um, they played "Sleep in the Heat," which is probably one of my favorite songs, and I kind of wasn't expecting that. The dream is over. Mm, the dream is over. Yeah. Remember, because he went to the. Uh... The doctor, he's like, I sing for a living. I'm a vocalist. Yeah, she's, oh, well, the dream's over. Well, the dream's over. You got a hemorrhage in your vocal cords. <laughs> I should I should be better about that. I, I bought that vinyl very recently. What a great album, by the way. I mean, it's, And I've been wearing it out. Pup's not putting out anything bad. But I'm not... Never have. I'm not going to mention the show at Firebird, because we talk about that every episode. But I was comparing it to that yeah. the whole time, and... and Obviously, it didn't add up to that. Like, you can't recapture that uh, during the pandemic and social distancing and whatnot. But right. They did a really damn good job for a live stream, and it wasn't really a live stream. It was pre-recorded, so there was a little bit of editing, I think, and mm. I was not mad at it. But the sound—that's kind of was a great. bummer, though. Yeah. Wasn't it advertised kind of like a show? Yeah, it's it's basically like a um on-demand type thing. You know, you pay. Five ninety nine. I don't know how much it was, but you pay five ninety nine and you get a two day pass to the on demand. That's still just that kind of sucks though, because you assume it's going to be a show, especially when there's like all these limited times for these shows. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to buy it within a certain time frame. It's like you would assume that's because they're going to play it, record it, have it available for a short period. But if it's something they already did and they're like promoting it, then you know, it's like a pay-per-view at that point. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if but I have like some of the old UFCs. So yeah. like if I bought the pay-per-view, I could still go and watch some of the pay-per-view stuff. 
my sister put it on her card, so I don't know how the ability to like re-grab it and watch it. I don't know if it's like available over time. I said that in a really weird way. The ability to re-grab it. <laughs> the ability to re-grab. You get my point. Maybe she can over stream space it at some and time. Point, but it was like open for 72 hours, and I think some of it went to charity. What was interesting is they opened it with a comedian, and he did a, uh, a tight five, but it was over live stream. Like he had recorded it on Skype or something. So it was super awkward at some points, but I, man, I wish I remember the comedian's name, but he was really good. Really good. Cool. I think I would see him live, though. I would grab him over time. Yeah. <laughs> the ability <laughs> to when grab him. When you say over things time. like that, yeah, I'm going to add like echo to this part. Yeah. Like just right here. It's going to be like the ability. The ability. To grab I love it. Let's talk about Blink 182's untitled album. All right, dude. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. We haven't done that in a long time. Oh my god, I miss the meat and potatoes of the podcast. We gotta get it's Thanksgiving times. Yeah, meat and potatoes. I was uh, Charlie Brown for <laughs> thanks for uh, Halloween. Oh my god, and uh, we did nothing. We went nowhere, and my wife made me dress up like Charlie Brown. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Here I am today. <laughs> Let's talk about the mean potatoes of this yeah. podcast. Hey, Halloween's over, all right? Put that candy down. It's time for the meat and potatoes. Let's do this. It's the meat and potatoes of this podcast. We're going to talk about Enema of the State. Wait a minute. No, we're not. The ability, the ability. to grab, to grab it over time. time. We were going to talk about Enema of the Pivot. State for... Uh, a brief moment there, but then you and I got to talking today and we were just like, wait a minute. Is Enema of the State our favorite record? Is that the is that the best Blink album? And we're like, oh, well, you know, people say the self-titled is kind of the Blink, you know, that's that's really their best record. And we we debated on it for a minute. We're like, no, Enema of the State is their best record. That was the breakthrough oh, yeah. record. But but now we we kind of took a second. We listened to the self-title, and we were like, okay, this might be the best record from Blink-182. That's great. How do you no, feel? I love it. In, in, in breakfast podcast <laughs> fashion, I think the last-minute pivot was great. <laughs> last-minute pivot. It's like we had done all this research. We wanted to talk about Scott Rayner. We wanted to talk about... You know, them coming into the mainstream. Maybe we talk about some of the music videos. Maybe we talk a little bit about their, like, interviewing fashion. You know, just kind of going back to where they were, like, more inclined to make dick jokes. But now <laughs> we're going to talk about the mature Blink-182. Fast forward past all the albums that are about dicks. Let's talk about a more serious Blink-182. <laughs> I mean, I really like, guys, it was, 
I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. We're like getting ready to record this thing. It's it's late now. It's election night. We both want to know what's going on with the election. We really, up until the 11th hour, yeah. it's not the 11th hour. It's still early. But for us, it's the 11th hour. We were just kind of like, look, I think Blink-182 unt- untitled. It's not self-titled. It's untitled. Untitled. I think that's my favorite Blink record. And I didn't think that until right before we did this podcast. I had a revelation. Yeah. Literally, it just took a scroll through Spotify. I think we were talking about, I forgot. Honestly, I forgot. We were talking about Enema of State, blah, blah, blah. Then we're talking about, oh, well, Blink-182, what about Blink-182 self-titled, 2003 or untitled? Well, you got feeling untitled. this. You got obvious. You got violence, Stockholm Syndrome, down, go, asthenia. Oh, shit. I started listening <laughs> to it. I started listening to it with you, and I was just like, damn. Don't f- you know what? I'm, I think that I was wrong. I think that I need to change my opinion because... I think this is the best Blink-182 record. I, I honestly think it's the most interesting, too, because Enema of State is great. It, it put them on the map, and they blew up off of that album. But what interests me the most about this album is that they, this album becomes the last thing that they do with Jerry Finn before their four, I think it was a four-year hiatus, um, just after Boxcar Racer, which Mark Hoppus, in my opinion, had some negative feelings about boxcar racer project uh it's it's not just in your opinion it's it is factual it doesn't matter how many interviews like um he's done since then to just kind of like downplay all that stuff at the time it was so very obvious that he was pretty pissed at travis Mm. and tom for going rightfully so racer and you i i i understand that i i don't i think he's justified man i mean they being in a band is like kind of like being in a relationship. It it's hard sometimes. Sometimes no, it really I'm is. I'm not though. disagreeing with you at it's all. It's just <laughs> your your friends, these guys are that you just have a little bit more of a friendship. You're really opening yourself up to each other to just like express creatively. Mm-hmm. And it sucks you know that to, to have someone just be like all right, look, well, I mean, we like you. We like your creativity, but we feel like you're not going to be creative enough for this thing. I mean, they basically did so... a Blink-182 album without Mark. So, obviously, he's going to be pissed off. But what an album. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's, in- what's interesting? what's interesting about this album is this is the first time where they didn't go in and demo a bunch of things and then just record them. They went in and wrote all the music together, basically. And that that is also part of like the interesting part of this album process. It took them close to a year to record this album. Multiple studios, multiple locations, and just the shenanigans along the way is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, they got kicked out of the... The house yeah. that they were recording. So originally in. they rented a house um in California, I believe. I don't know exactly where, but they rented a house that people were actually living in and overstayed their welcome. And eventually 
But why did they overstay their welcome? <laughs> because they were yeah. like renting yeah, porn much. nonstop. Yeah. What did Tom DeLong say? He's like, I think that whatever you know, we didn't incur in your recording expenses. I spent on probably three million dollars. He basically, yeah, he said. <laughs> So they had it going oh, nonstop, man. just constant <laughs> pornography. <laughs> nonstop pay per view pornography playing while they were rec- recording the album. <laughs> so Tom says, if I wasn't smoking half of Columbia, I probably ran up $3 million in adult film charges. <laughs> yeah, because they, they set aside the garage was for, quote, smoking hella weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, the. <laughs> That's how they oh, did yeah. this. That's record. how they started off too. It just like... sounds all. It sounds. And keep in mind, at this time, Jerry Finn, who the famous Jerry Finn, he did Alkaline Trio, he did Blink Way Two, he did anything that you heard. Um, let's say ninety nine, early two thousands. Like Jerry Finn was probably involved some way somehow on mainstream uh, music. So, from when they were recording in this house, they initially started off that way. He wasn't there initially, and they were kind of just messing around with, you know, four or five songs at a time, and whenever they get burned out of one track, they would start working on another. So, to me, they were just kind of messing around and bouncing around from track to track to track, and then walks in Jerry Finn. I mean, Jerry Finn, just a pop-punk engineer. Yeah. You know, just did a lot of shit that was important. It's crazy to see some of the interviews just with them describing this album and, you know, being in separate rooms, trying to experiment, trying to, like, create something that was different from the normal Blink-182. They they still did live shows. They took so long Mm -hmm. to make this record. I mean, it was almost a year. Yeah, right? almost a year. I think it came. The count came up to almost three hundred days. That's per the MTV launched series that's available on YouTube. Actually, that was the first thing I watched on this album. So, like, you know, they worked on this. They worked on this record for so so long. Um, Boxcar Racer was obviously a thing. Boxcar Racer, you know, people talk about it all the time. I have listened to the Boxcar Racer album. I don't love that album. Really? Um, I love this album. I disagree with that. Okay. <laughs> Why? I, Boxcar Racer was... Um, and they, they actually said it in the YouTube documentary that I watched. It's not a YouTube documentary. What am I saying? It was, it was launched like 2003, 2004 when they were making the album on MTV. But yeah. it was like almost like Tom's emo outlet in my, like in my words. And I honestly am a big sucker for that, especially early on. Um, that's pretty much all I listened to. So I'd really enjoyed boxer racers. No, no, that type of music. Cause it, they just did the one. It was record. like a darker blink One Eighty Two for me. That's how I would describe it. It was definitely blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, you, <laughs> I've listened to that record though. And I just, I don't get that excited about yeah. it. Like, I listened to the Untitled Blink album, and I feel like this is basically like if you were to try and create Boxcar and make it the best that it could be, this is that. 
That was my opinion yeah. of it. Because I've I've listened to the boxcar racer stuff and I've it it has so much hype. And I've tried to listen to that record like front to back multiple times and just I haven't understood the hype any of the times that I've listened yeah. to it. That's the mindset that's going on in the room though is what interests me about this like recording process is like that happened. Mark is obviously upset about it, and then you put these personalities in the same room together, and then Travis is the quiet one, and they're writing music, and it takes them 300 days. I think that speaks a lot to them as a band at that point. They were very successful at that point, and it took them (laughs) 300 days to write this album. I mean, they were like, we have a deadline, then they pushed it back, then they go on a tour, then they're like doing it remotely. And I mean, up until the last night before they sent it off to press it, they were checking out mixes and... and Thank God they did, though. Yeah. They really cared about this. And it's so crazy to think about a band who went from, like... Some bands just really get caught up in that mm-hmm. that vibe of, we're just going to tell dick jokes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, we don't have to do that. We can, we can really actually do something different. It takes a lot of people, I I think, to just say hey you know we could be better we can do something more we can release there was something very very serious that happened in our country two years before this album came out where you know there were airplanes uh, you know suicide missions and bombings sent to the biggest country or the biggest city in america and for these guys to kind of recognize that and want to do something bigger, want to do something more meaningful. I feel like there's, there's just some kind of different perspective. Obviously the blink 182 record isn't the thing that fixes nine 11. Mm-hmm. It's not anything like that, but it just makes you search for a different meaning. It makes you search for a new perspective. Yeah. It makes you want to visit things that are a little bit deeper within the surface. And that's what this record was. It's an interesting side of Blink because they wanted this album to be like songs segue off of each other, like some sort of continuity throughout the whole thing. And for like a band who came from writing all these like punk songs about dicks and jokes and stuff like that to just like get buckled down and get serious. And like everybody's involved in the writing process. It's not just like Mark and Tom and like Travis has his, his input. It was just interesting to see, like, this is the first time we see like blink really like everybody gets an input at this point. It became a lot more than just like recording some stupid pop punk album. Yeah. And I really like this Blink-182. We had mentioned in an episode way back where it was just like, there's a perspective to be had um, from bands who are like one-hit wonders. But there's like also a perspective to be had from these bands that just, they they make some great music and then all of a sudden they decide like, we're going to do something really, really, really different and blink 182 
kind of took that to a new level. We talk a lot about like these 60s, 70s, 80s bands that changed the way that music was shaped going forward. And Blink-182, for all their dick jokes early on, like really became that band. And they didn't have to become that band. Mm-hmm. What I mean, they go, they go from writing, you know, you got Buddha, Cheshire Cat, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, Enema of State. I just want to point this out. Like, we talked about this earlier. This, The way that Mark Hoppus described the studio, um, they used 70 guitars, 30 amps, six drum kits, various keyboards, turntables. Like, they were not using that on Enema of State. <laughs> the guitar tone is phenomenal. Like, maybe one of the best guitar tones on a record that I've ever heard. Yeah. So, they recorded things in a particular way. But the guitar tone is really, really consistent. They must have found something within that lineup of amps, massive lineup of amps and guitars that they just really like and stuck with it. Maybe that's maybe that's the plus of them having so much time to write it, though, too, just to like hash it out from basically what I've researched and what I've watched. They spent a lot of days just kind of like doing three hours of guitar tones and like, they would just call it a day and then go fuck off. And then the next day they would lay down some drums and work on some vocals. Like it w- it was just interesting to me because it was just like a wild child. And that's the way Mark Hoppus described it. Jerry Finn walks in and he's like, all right, you need to do this. This sounds good. You need to do this. Like just starts adding direction and then, you know, crafting the album. It very well could have been that way. You know, one of my favorite. I've seen the Angels and Airwaves documentary. If you haven't seen that, it's like right after they broke up, right after this album, where it really kind of shows... It's not a... It doesn't capture what they did for the first Angels and Airwaves. It kind of captures the stuff that they did in between that Mm -hmm. and the I Empire album. And it's really interesting to see what Tom does just as a guitarist, see how he experiments with effects and things. I feel like that was something that was probably pioneered for them within the untitled album. And then they jumped into, I mean, well, it's better to say that Tom jumped into the Angels and Airwaves record. And he just, he had a totally different perspective on guitar. Asthenia, you can hear that at Asthenia. Uh, the track on this album that that's the angels and airwaves. Like <laughs> for me, it's like, I really, I, I agree with you. I think that's kind of like the precursor to angels and airwaves. Yeah. The intro, like, to you that. listen to that. Um, the Apollo nine was used on that one, right? I believe so. Yeah. So there are actual like communications between earth and astronauts on the Apollo nine, um, that are used for that song. And we all know by this point, uh, at least if you're a big blink One Eighty Two follower, that Tom has always been really into space and aliens and UFOs and astronauts and, all that kind of stuff. They have that song, Aliens Exist, I think is on Enema of the State, actually. Yeah, it is. You know, to see some of that stuff come out in the untitled record, 
And then it really, really comes out in the Angels and Airwaves stuff is particularly interesting. I almost feel like you can see like where these guys are headed in this album too. Just because they all got to bring their their own creative space to the table. Like this I feel like this almost kind of pushed Tom to go towards Angels and Airwaves. This is just my opinion, obviously. I I don't know if any of this is true, but and then like Mark's just continuing with Blink one eighty two and then Travis is just like honed in on the percussion, man. He was loving it. <laughs> He would. He went on tour. In fact, he went on tour in the middle of recording this album with the transplants, and like yeah. before he left, per the documentary I saw, he left a bunch of drum beats. Basically, he just recorded a bunch of like cool drum beats yeah. and just left basically a package for them of drums. Just like here, right off of this, and then yep. like they just kind of fucked around for a couple months, and then Travis came back and they're like, "All right, let's get down to business." <laughs> yeah. No, I I definitely read that as well, (laughs) which is crazy to think about. One of the things that Travis said was, I don't, at least in the studio setting, he told the guys, like, don't think of this as the next Blink record. Like, think of this as the first Blink record. Mm -hmm. And it really is like a, a new beginning for them. I mean, there's no album before this record. Um and after this, that sounds like this. It's a it's like a bookmark. Yeah, what's funny is like the next album that comes out is almost ten years later, Neighborhoods, and it's like basically a playoff of this album. So we just like we're we're basically seeing it live. We're seeing Blink transform. <laughs> I mean, you and I saw them. Um. We went to that show where with like Fallout Boy, and there was someone else. I don't remember. Two thousand nine. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I don't remember. But they had been working on the Neighborhoods album. It wasn't out yet. It was like after they had decided to come back together, and you could just tell it was just a different energy. Mm-hmm. Almost like it was business. They played a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, they played a lot of stuff off this, but it was just. It was a different energy, for sure. Yeah. What's uh, another great thing about this album too is like a lot of the hits that st- are still played today come off of this album as well. And you know, I didn't honestly really realize it realize it until I looked into this album. Like a lot of the songs that I first like heard on the radio and like because I I never really dove into Blink like early on. I listened to them because of like the radio songs. But you, I mean, you got Always, you got I Miss You. I Miss You is a big one. And that came off of this I album. I miss you was huge. And yeah, huge. And then they're gone for nine years, eight years. <laughs> I always thought that was like their staple. I remember being young and being like, yeah, this is They weren't totally gone, though, because no, it was no, yeah. like, you know, Angels and Airwaves was there. I think their first record came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. Plus 44 was there not long after. So these guys were around, but... It wasn't Blink-182. But I remember listening to this album, and um, I actually didn't get this. I think my little brother got this album. Listening to it again, I mean, I, I used to listen to the to the record, like, after he got it. But 
it was just kind of taken for granted. It kind of like fell within that whole like alternative emo rock phase. But now like when I want to go back and listen to the entire Blink-182 discography, when I want to go back and listen to like stuff from that era, this album stands out a lot for me. And I didn't think that it would. I would say that one of the songs I go right back to is Asthenia. I've already mentioned that earlier, but that's probably like one, if I'm, like like you just said right now, if I was to get in my car tomorrow and I had a, a spur of the moment, hey, I want to hear some Blink, I'll probably go to this album and find either Obvious or Asthenia first, and then maybe Dumpweed after that, but and so on. But <laughs> Dumpweed's so good. Yeah, Dumpweed you know, is great. <laughs> um, I never told you guys this, but when we when we were working on like the next Chase Blues stuff. I was listening to this record a lot and feeling this was kind of my inspiration for like a lot of the stuff that we did, but then it just, it never really worked out, unfortunately. And then when we went to this next band, when we went to Sunnyside, um, stuff like Asthenia was more my influence. Like this record has influenced me, um, from a songwriting perspective for a lot of years, for a lot of chords, for a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize that it did. What a real guilty pleasure off this album of mine is, would be I'm Lost Without You. I still have that on a couple playlists, and it still plays. <laughs> Which is not your typical Blink song at all. There are some songs in the Blink discography that are just sad. Yeah. Adam's song. This song. Adam's song. Yeah. Adam's song. And it's weird to think about those guys who um you go from making the dick jokes to just feeling like to to just being open to just being honest. And I feel like that is the thing that brought a lot of us to Blink one eighty two is that it wasn't really that we just wanted to like fuck around all the time and make dick jokes and crack jokes. It was like, you know, deep down, yeah, we could relate to people that did these things, but deep down there was a little bit more and we didn't really get to express it. And Untitled came along and we were like, oh damn, there's actually a lot of people like us out there. I feel like for me, the Untitled this really gave Travis Barker a chance to step in and, and put some of his influence. Like I know he had written songs with them before, but even they have said like, it's always been kind of Tom writing, Mark writing, and then they come together, they demo some shit and then they lay it down. This one was like, they were in the room and like, you can even see in the videos, like Travis is like, yo, 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 slow it down, do it like this. Like he's piecing together songs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is, his chance to really like this is Blink One Eighty Two with a Travis Barker twist to it as well. I also wanted to add that because percussion is very important, especially with a band like a three piece band. Like oh man, it is so important. You have to have a rhythm section or you're done. Yep. Guitar is so unimportant, like in a band setting. Yeah, as a guitar player, I'm telling you, <laughs> like that's I how actually, that's I, how real it is. I was going to say, I I understand what you're saying. (laughs) 
that's how truthful I am trying to be right now. Guitar is just so unimportant in that setting. And Blink-182... People that love punk music love Scott Rayner. But Travis Barker heading into Blink-182 was one of the best things that could have happened to them. I mean, on that tour when Scott Rayner left... Travis Barker learned 20 songs in 45 minutes is what I read. I mean, that right there, I mean, that shouldn't be like, oh, my God, he's the greatest drummer ever. But, I mean, that's talent. A guy's a musician, obviously. He knows his way around the kit. <laughs> so, like, going into this record, this record's so long. Um, There's interludes. There's all kinds of things that they hadn't done in the previous records. The like first half of this is so fast paced, but it still yeah. sounds so heavy. It reminds me a lot of Chuck from Sum Forty One, where it's really just kind of like a new perspective on a band. Yeah, they really they they come out strong. That's for sure. It it kind of like a going along with how they said a, like a lot of the events from nine eleven kind of influenced their songwriting on this one. It's just it's chaos in the beginning. So, like, feeling this, I remember um, the music video for that, where it's, like, some girl, I think, like, stripping down on a bed in, like, a hotel. Does that sound right? I don't remember, to be honest. We talked a lot about Obvious. Like, you had been jamming that a lot before we actually started, before we hit record, really. I mean, is that like your favorite track off this record? Is that your favorite early track or what is it about obvious that you want to talk about? Obvious the the breakdown towards the end of the song is honestly I feel like they put a little more work into it. I feel like it's like they planned on it more. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. But for that song, it's it's a side of blink that we haven't seen yet. I it's just a well-crafted song. But for me, it's like, and it's obviously, it's the second track on the album. So for me, like listen, going into this album and listening to it and thinking about the previous albums, like Obvious is, is a whole different Blink. I think like feeling this is kind of like, okay, sounds like Blink. Obvious is where it's like, all right, here's this transition. Here's this darker, I don't want to say darker, but I, I feel like it's a darker Blink, but it's a more serious Blink. The intro to Obvious is so dark. It's so heavy. Yeah. I mean, listen to Obvious and tell me that's not a heavy track. You listen to something like that, and they don't actually get poppy again until the very end of that song with yeah. all the like extra vocals and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I, it's definitely, I think, like the song within this Blink album that tells you we're not going to be doing a pop album entirely. Because it is, it's just, it's sadder chords. It's a sadder progression. If you think about it, if you've, if you're a Blink fan and you've, and you've listened to Neighborhoods, it kind of foreshadows some of those songs. Like I, I, in the breakdown, the, um, I, I almost want to make the breakdown noise, like what, it, what I think it is. But if you listen to that song and then listen to Neighborhoods, it almost feels like it goes in that album. There's also kind of like a grandiose uh, 
personality to the song. Mm-hmm. Where like when I think of angels and airwaves, I think of just like big epic noises and obvious has that going into the chorus. In times like this, and it's like this massive, massive like chord shift. Yeah. Um, where it's just like this big ringing chord, and the drums are big. Um, you don't hear that in a lot of tracks. No, the production quality on this album is pretty rocked, fucking solid. It's also it's ca- it's done. crazy because when you look at this and how many different places that they recorded. You're like, shit, there's no way you can make a great album, you know, coming from this many different environments, right? Yeah. Right. But they did. It's, it's, uh, uh, they worked with professionals. <laughs> great. <laughs> another, a big, another big song on this album for me would be Stockholm Syndrome, I would say. Um, that interlude, the first interlude. I mean, I I don't know how many interludes they've had on previous albums. I don't know if they've had any. So what's interesting about this interlude, if I remember correctly, it's Mark Hoppus's grandfather, great-grandfather, had written a letter to his spouse um, mm-hmm. while he was in World War One, and they had someone read this out over this. That's pretty cool. It's really sad. I mean, it's... Uh, I guess cool to have that history, but man, yeah, sad to incorporate it into this again at the time. I mean, this is two thousand and three. This came out late two thousand and one was when nine eleven, you know, when the attacks happened in America. So you think about this came out in late two thousand three. They recorded it for almost a year. Like to think about a lot of people going to war think about you know the things that we were going to have to do to feel like we could defend america and mark hoppus breaks out his you know relatives war letter on an album for what ended up being probably blink 182's most famous album uh definitely a track deeper than you would maybe expect at face value. It's not a side of Blink you expect to see either. I mean, that's the interesting part, is because these guys usually... I mean, you can you can YouTube, you know, Blink-182, Big Day Out 2000 live, and they're just jumping around on stage telling dick jokes, oh, yeah. making all these really explicit <laughs> fucking statements. It's just ridiculous. And then you you listen to this album, you're like, wait a minute, this is not... This is not the same band. I'm I'm so happy with them for making that leap because there's so many bands that we grew up listening to that you listen to their early albums. That's why you love them. You think maybe it's because you were just young, but honestly, a lot of them tried to make that leap and they just sucked at it. Like Blink-182 doesn't get enough credit for being good at making a more mature leap. For sure. I think they realized that a lot of people were listening to him too. So, yeah, and I think they they took the good they took a good approach to it. So, we've talked a lot about these tracks. Do you have like a clear favorite going into this album? A clear favorite? Yeah, I mean, like when you go and visit, 
I'll be honest. Like when I go and I listen to this record again, um, it's because I forgot how good it was. Like every time that I go back and listen to it again, I'm like, wait a minute. I got to listen to this front to back and it's always fantastic. I mean, is there any reason that you go and visit this again and just think about like your favorite track, think about your, you know, just like a good album starting point or how do you feel about this? I would say it's going to be obvious. It's obvious which track I'd pick. <laughs> no, but really ob- obvious oh is God. probably it's probably the first song is I go to. Is your wife pregnant? Are you a dad? <laughs> <laughs> Here come the dad jokes. I mean, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. The ability to grab over Obvious though. I I I wasn't a big fan of neighborhoods, but I liked obvious as in I thought it was like the newest sound. Um, I'm Asthenia is probably close. I've mentioned those two earlier, obviously because those are two that hit for me. But I would say obvious. I would go to that one, especially because of the breakdown. I really enjoy that. That. Obvious is a great track. Mine's Asthenia. Oh. I almost picked that one. I was worried that you would because you, you. It's good. Though. You it talk good. about it's that so song good. so much. I was like, yeah, Wait. that's Asthenia for me is something I need to be in the mood for. Obvious. I'm like, that's my. I mean, you know, I mean, I listen to the used Deftones. Like, I feel like I listen to sometimes a little heavier music. Obvious. Yeah, it has a great heavy intro. And yeah, Asthenia though. Like, I am first of all, I'm a sucker for space. Um, I love it. My favorite song that I ever wrote was a song called Space. My friend Mike, who writes music and sends his tracks to me sometimes, he has two songs. One of them is called Astronaut. One of them is called Reentry. And those are my two favorite songs from him. Like, Angels and Airwaves is a great band to me. Love listening to that stuff. Asthenia is... A fantastic track. Mm. It's the one that's like, to me, it's not like the pop punk stuff that Blink-182 was known for, but it's not not also like falling into the, you know, theme of like just heavy tracks for the sake of being heavy. And it was kind of like artistic and it's not so artistic just for the sake of being artistic of like oh we're going to use these astronaut signals just cuz it's like no it feels intentional they both have that tom feel to it i get, blink what attracts me most to blink 182 is tom's i know everybody always gives him you know shit for the way he pronounces his vowels and stuff but he's doing people, that on purpose obviously people hate tom and yeah Tom is the best member of Blink-182, in my opinion. It's, it's obvious now. <laughs> the ability. I am not feeling this. I could do this all night. I could do this all night. It's not even that one. It's Yed. It's obvious. The ability. What about The Cure, Robert Smith's? 
being on this album. I thought that was really cool because I'm a big fan of The Cure. I thought that was great, man. Um, they the Cure, definitely man. acted surprised that he would want to be on their record, which I think is crazy. <laughs> Fuck, I would too if I was Blink-182. <laughs> well, no, but you're Blink-182. I mean, you're the biggest band in the world right then. I I have I just I want to believe that Robert Smith sat down and was like, let me check out Blink One Eight Two. Even if he like maybe he heard of him, maybe he didn't. <laughs> but like, can you imagine Robert Smith of the Cure diving in? Like, <laughs> I don't I haven't really looked into him, but what do you think his thoughts are when he's like, you know, <laughs> he listens know, to the earlier <laughs> stuff. It's all dick jokes. He's like, hmm, <laughs> what should I? What verse should I lay down for these guys? <laughs> I, I, I would imagine that Blink-22, when they sent it to him, were like, hey, this is what we're thinking, this is what we got, yeah. you know, obviously, but it's just funny because I don't, like, The Cure and Blink-22, like, do you want to come to a party? And then in The Cure, <laughs> Friday, I'm in love. It's like a whole different vibe, man. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's legit. If I if I were Robert Smith, I don't know what I'd do, but I'm not Robert Smith, so Robert Smith decided he was gonna do this record and it was kinda weird, to be honest. I thought it was cool. All of this is not my favorite track. Like, I don't think they needed Robert Smith to make this album great. I think Robert Smith think, being on it is a fun story, and I, I think that yeah. the guys like getting someone from The Cure to do a Blink-182 record is interesting, but no, I, I right. don't give a shit I, about I it. I didn't look that up, but isn't that funny? Like, can you? I, I just like to think that Blink-182 is like, all right, do you think, like who's the most like out of the box person for us? Well, that's what I mean. Like get that's why album. I don't yeah. give a shit about it. Is like <laughs> I would rather they have gotten someone that was going to give a shit about it, and it was gonna be awesome. Yeah. Let's say they had like Van Halen, you know, sit in on a guitar session or something. Be like, okay, this is rad. Oh man, Tom and Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Talk I, about I like know. two opposite guitarists. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. So your favorite track from this is obvious. Mine's Asthenia. I mean, what are your final thoughts on this album? This album, I'm gonna go out on a limb and just say I think it's their best. You know what? I'm just gonna come out and say it. I like, and not not saying they're all bad. But it, this is probably the album. Since I go to it first, it's it's their best. <laughs> That's a very strong statement. Wow, we pivoted. I just we I, just pivoted. Yeah, we pivoted hard. I pivoted fucking hard, man. We went from Enema of the State, and I was like, I I. It's funny because I don't remember how we got on to this album, but I I think I double I I actually did what I said. I clicked on obvious, and I was singing that when we first got on discord it literally came down to the question i was like i think that enema is my favorite album and you were like yeah i think it is mine too no question i'm like wait yeah you said that and then i heard 
It's obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's like this Boom. album was like I miss you. Miss you. <laughs> like, wait. <laughs> we have Stockholm syndrome with this album. The ability. <laughs> let's let's keep it going. I love this album always. <laughs> This album. This album is an this easy album target. This is an easy target for best yeah. link album. I'm definitely feeling it. The ability. Uh, Here's your letter, guys. Our the podcast, ability. the Breakfast Rock podcast. Here you are. Blink 182's untitled album. I'm lost I'm without this. Blink 182. The ability, the ability to stop. stop. This is really bad. We need to end this episode. <laughs> what a way to end Let's the talk a little bit about uh, some ways that you can follow and support us. You can follow us on the Twitters at breakfast underscore rock. You can also find us individually. I'm the Bakerman247. You can find Tony at Tony Medina. Three one four T O N Y M E D I N A. Yeah, I don't I feel think like I have to, to spell that. But um, maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> Leave us a review. You can find us at most of the <laughs> podcast platforms, right? You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We are oh, the yeah. Breakfast Rock Podcast. It's been a lot of fun for me, man. Well, uh, you're the podcast daddy. Why am I even doing this? Send us off. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. <laughs> it's been a good time. We'll see you next time. It's been fun. Is there any track other than our favorites? I mean, mine's Asthemia. Yours is obvious. I mean, what's the Blink-182 track outside of this untitled record? Oh, outside of this record. Yeah, outside oh, of this man. record. Cause... That is hard. That is a tough question. But I'm going to have to go with, um, we listened to it earlier, you and I, Man Overboard. Um, or dis dysentery Gary, dysentery Gary, the ability, the ability to grab, to grab, grab over time. time. time.